Tonight's sermon's called God Doesn't Play Favorites. Um, and we're in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It says this. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for whatever you judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to, uh, according to, is this saying the same thing that I'm looking at here? Okay, let me try this again. Because I feel like I'm reading it wrong. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and are doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to each one according to his deeds? Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of the man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. God doesn't play favorites. There's no in-team and out-team. There's no inside circle and outside circle with God. Everybody is held accountable to the same standard. My first point is this. Don't be a hypocrite. It may be a hard one. But let, let's go through it for just a second. Now, a hypocrite is a word taken from a Greek word, uh, meaning an actor or a stage player. Maybe you didn't know that. It then took on an extended meaning to refer to any person who was wearing a figurative mask and pretending to be someone or something they were not. Because the actors back then who did the stage plays, they would wear these masks that would have expressions on them. Or maybe somebody would be the good guy or the bad guy in the, in the play, and they would all have these big masks on. So basically the word hypocrite was the word for essentially someone who was an actor, someone who wore these masks and pretended to be someone they're not. That's why I think it's really odd that we find... Um, celebrity actors so trustworthy when it's their job to pretend somebody they're not. Now maybe they are. Maybe they're awesome. I'm not. I'm not judging them based on their job. I'm just saying it's strange to me that I would pay more attention to a rich person who pretends to be somebody else than I would to any other person. Like let's take a step further and look at the credentials of that person before we just sell out on what they tweeted. Don't just retweet it because it's from somebody famous. Now, a hypocrite in the dictionary is someone who, whose acts are contradictory to his or her stated belief, beliefs or feelings. A person who is pretending to be someone of virtue but lives a life of sin. Now, it's interesting that uh, the word hypocrite is associated with Christianity. And the reason why is Christianities are the only one, Christianity is the only uh, people who uh, portray that they have some sort of virtue. 
Because I know some people that I, I, you know, I'd want to call them a hypocrite, but they're not because they're okay with being loud mouth and, and all those other things. They're not being a hypocrite because that's what they believe in. <laughs> they don't care. You're only a hypocrite if you're not living up to the values that you say you believe in, which in Christianity, of course, makes it difficult because we're never going to be able to live up to the values that we believe in. We just have to keep trying, right? So when you don't practice what you ple- preach, it completely discredits your message. That's the, big pro- that's the big problem. The message may be biblically true, but your contradictory behavior tells people that it's a lie. That's the big problem with being a Christian hypocrite, is that what you say is now devalued, and the words you preach is devalued because you don't practice what you preach. That's what happens. I had a boss this one time. He came to our department. This was many years ago, so it's okay to say it. It was like 13 years ago. He showed up, and he tried to bring this new culture to the fire department. And a lot of people were resistant. Because the there's only two things that uh, they don't like in the fire service. is change and when things stay the same. <laughs> and so he wanted things to change. The, the, on the one hand, the things that he was saying were really good. They, they were really powerful, but he didn't do any of it. So it just tainted all of it. So it, it happens in all different areas. Um, I've actually had several conversations over like the last month, like three different conversations with different people who were criticizing Christianity and talking about it being false because they, and their leverage, their reason was because the people who do these awful things in the name of Christ. I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Yeah, you know, they talk about, you know, the crusades or adulterous TV preachers or that we say we love people, but we openly hate gay people, liberals, and Hillary Clinton. (laughs) So now I have to try to figure this out and justify it to them, right? But I never try to justify the behavior of other people, ever. I don't even try to justify my own bad behavior. What's the point, right? I apologize for my own bad behavior. I humbly say, I'm sorry, my behavior is wrong and I know it. I don't try to justify it. I don't try to justify what other people did. When they bring up crazy stories from the Old Testament, they bring up you know, crusades and all these kind of things, and, and Trump, and they bring up all these different things, I don't try to justify or clarify any of anybody's behavior. I just say that... People's inability to live up to a godly standard doesn't negate or devalue that standard. But they aren't buying it. Nobody's buying it. If you don't practice what you preach, nobody's buying it. And that's the problem with it. That's the problem with being a hypocrite. If they, if they haven't seen it change you, it's not going to change them or their minds. There's so much negative press about Christianity out there that it's going to take many, many examples of people actually being virtuous and living according to the scriptures for it to change people's mind. So keep doing that and we will get there. But you can't be mad if people uh, disregard you right off the bat. That's what I think. I mean, I think it's just been a long, long road. Um, Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 through 5 says, Judge not or condemn not, that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's something we've heard a lot, right? So you can't judge me kind of comes from that statement. But it doesn't say you can't judge. It says that if you condemn others, you will be condemned too. By the same standard in which you used to condemn them. 
So oftentimes we don't want to show people grace. We want to judge them on their actions, but we want other people to judge us on our intentions. But I intended to do the right thing. I didn't want to be late. But when somebody else does those things to us, we're like, that's what you did. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I think you did mean it. You're terrible. It's all in here, right? Judge not that you not be judged. For with judgment you are judged, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? That makes you a hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now how do you operate in this Christian world with a standard that's so high it will take us our whole lives to try to meet it, and then not be a hypocrite? If I tell you that what you're doing is wrong, and it is wrong, you can't come back to me and say, well, you can't judge me. How can you tell me that's wrong? Because you're wrong too. We all sin. We all fall short. Yeah, I'm aware of that. But if you're wrong, you're wrong. (laughs) If the Bible says you're wrong, you're wrong. Now, it doesn't do much good for you to be living a sinful lifestyle or to be openly uh, doing wrong things and then turn to somebody else and, and point the finger at them and say, look at these little things in your life that you're doing wrong. And they say, hey, um, you know, you can't tell me that I'm doing wrong. It's like, hey, what you're doing? But look at you. It's saying, this verse is saying that it, it's disingenuous and, uh, and it's not going to be effective for you to point out the flaws in other people and how they're coming up short without first recognizing how far you've come up short in your life. Now, it doesn't mean that what you're saying isn't true. And so there's two people in this, uh, this example. There's the person with the speck in their eye and there's the person with the plank in their eye. And we often see that like that. The other person from us, we're always the speck person in our interpretation of the scripture. And someone else is always the plank person. So when anybody walks up to us, all we're looking for is planks. No, you can't tell me about my speck, you have a plank. It's like the defense. But understand that the person with the plank in their eye is supposed to consider their own sin and their own shortcomings and start working on those things before they spend a bunch of time trying to worry about somebody else's business. But there is still a brother with a speck in his own eye. If you have a speck in your eye, you still have something to work on. If somebody corrects your behavior and says you shouldn't be doing these things, the speck in your eye pointing it out, you can't turn around and say, I can continue to do this until you get your life right. You're responsible for yourself. Take responsibility for your own speck. That's the hard part about hypocrisy, is that sometimes the hypocrite is telling the truth. It's still hypocrisy. If a drug addict tells you, do not do drugs because it will ruin your life, but they're still doing drugs, they are a hypocrite. But who better to tell you the truth about how drugs will ruin your life than the person whose drugs are currently ruining their life? Sometimes we're told as parents that you cannot correct your kids or tell them that they can't do the things that you did. Yes, you can. 
if you did things that hurt your life, tell your kids not to do those things. You can't tell me to do that. When you were my age, you did all the same things. That's how I know. I may be a hypocrite, but I'm a correct hypocrite. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, you are inexcusable. You, you the singular, you, not the collective, you all, no, you specifically, you who the text is talking to, you, oh man, are inexcusable, whoever you are who judge. Put yourself under the microscope for a sec when you read these things, because it's easy to gloss over and say, oh, the people who judge, but I'm not judging. No, no. Take a second to reflect on what you're doing. You who judge for whatever you judge another, you really are condemning yourself for you practice the same things. In a minute you're going to say, but I don't practice those things. I'm going to say, well, let's look at the list again. (laughs) But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. The judgment is not graded on a curve. It doesn't matter how much better you are than they are. It's irrelevant. The standard is the standard. There's no grading on a curve. God isn't taking all the people on the earth and lining them up by who was better and who was worse and then basing the grades off that. An A is an A. And if everybody else fails the class, then everybody fails the class. There's no excuse for you. You are inexcusable. And do you think that, oh man, uh, you who judge those practicing such things are doing the same things will escape the judgment of God? Are you practicing the same things or similar sins, knowing that it's sin? Most of us, most of us, most of them know what they're doing is wrong when they're doing it. Like we'd like to pretend like we didn't know. We like to think that if somebody else can't tell that we know that, that we have this uh, plausible deniability that what we did isn't wrong. Like we're pretending like we didn't know that that's not an exit, but we use it anyway. And then if we're, we're, just, we're, we're just locked and loaded. Hey, you can't go out that door. Oh, what? There's a sign? Oh, yeah, you know. You know you shouldn't do that. Practice the same things or similar things. One thing that Christians love to do, people love to do it, but Christians love to do it too, is they like to look at a list of specifically listed things and say, I don't do those specific things. So I'm good. The Bible never, have you ever heard anybody say this? Well, the Bible never said, I can't. Really? Do you think anyone else is buying that? I mean, maybe they are because then that gives them the ability to say the same thing. They're like, well, I believed you when you said it. You, you have to believe me when I say it now. Practice the same things. Let's look at the, the, some of the list. The list here at the end of chapter 1, it talks about things like rebellion. Yeah, a lot of us rebellious a lot of the time. But because the, the culture is even more rebellious, it doesn't make it look as bad. But it's still rebellion. Fornication. Gossiping and talking about people behind their backs. That happens all the time. We do that all the time. Making promises or commitments that you know you are not going to keep. I'm just paraphrasing the things that uh, Paul had already said. Because it sounds different when you say that. Do you make promises to people that you know you're not going to keep? You say you're going to be somewhere or do something knowing that the day before you're just going to call and cancel anyway, but you want to save face by saying that you're going to be there. 
being jealous or envious over, over other people's stuff? Envy. Talked about envy. Is that you? Are you bitter and jealous because somebody else has something that you don't? It's not fair. We do these things. And it's important to reflect on that he says, Oh, you who judge, who do the same things, but we turn around and we judge other people for their sins when we're actively sinning too. We're not recognizing our own plank at the same time we're pointing out their plank in their eye. A lot of people got planks in their eyes, okay? The speck people, small population. (laughs) Most of us are plank people. And it's a good perspective to have. Because you need to understand the difference between struggling with sin and a lifestyle of sin. And this is a huge distinction. And this is where the culture kind of trips us up. The difference between struggling with sin and a lifestyle of sin. When you're struggling with sin, you have certain sins. And I bet you all can think of something when I say it. That just kind of calls to you sometimes. That if you're not paying attention, all of a sudden it just pops up. When you're stressed and you're tired and you're angry, that's what you want to go to instead of God. You have your little pet sins that you've been working hard at breaking. You know it's wrong. You know you shouldn't do it. And then eventually you fall for it. And then you feel guilty and regretful. And you come back to God and you repent and say, God, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm so sorry. And then you go back out there and within weeks you do it again. That's struggling with sin. Now, we're all sinners who need a savior, and you are sinning, and you have sinned, and you will sin again, but then you ask for forgiveness, you come back to the Lord, you try to stay in his presence, you try to stay in his word, and you try to move forward with your life. Now, a lifestyle of sin is different. That's when you've adopted a sin as just who you are. You do it, and you don't care anymore that it's wrong. You've convinced yourself that maybe it's okay. That's the kind of person that looks at the scriptures and says, I don't do that thing, so the thing I do is still okay, when you know what you're doing is sin. I mean, think about this. Think about the, the adulterer, right? Now, if you've committed adultery and cheated on your wife, you've committed a grievous sin. It's a big one. It's probably destroyed a lot of relationships and a lot of good things. But you can ask for forgiveness and you can come humbly back to God and humbly back to your wife and just beg for her forgiveness and she will extend grace to you and then you will do everything in your power to be a completely different person and make amends and move on with your life. You were an adulterer and you struggled with it. But if you just say, hey, this is just who I am. I cheat on my wife. I step out. Oh, I'm sorry. I got caught again. And then you do it again. I mean, that probably turns all of our stomach, right? Because it's wrong. You're living a sinful lifestyle. Now, take out adultery and put in anything else you want. I don't need to come up with a list. You know what it is. Lie, steal, cheat, all sorts of things in the Bible. Sexual sins are actually the worst. If you look at it, it's like, oh, all sins are equal. No, all sins are equal when it comes to punishment. Not all sins are equal when it comes to the ramifications in your life. And that's the truth. Don't minimize your sin by trying to say it's equal to some other tiny sin. All sins are equally in need of forgiveness from God, but not all sins are equal in terms of the the pain and uh, grief that it causes people around you. 
When I was, uh, one time, well, I wasn't in college. One time when everybody my age was in college, except for me, um, Pastor Matt used to go to SVU. And uh, they were going to take some um, young college people on a mission trip to Canada. They were going to do some uh, VBSs and stuff on some uh, Indian reservations and those kind of things. And so they needed another guy to come. So Pastor Matt's like, hey, I know this guy. Uh, was Christy the leader's name? Christy. How on earth Christy let me go on this trip? I will never know. Just some random guy off the street. <laughs> so, no, we met and, and uh, apparently I passed muster. So anyways, so we drive up to Canada and we're driving this big van. And I remember we're on the way back driving this van and um, I'm going 130 heading back kilometers per hour. <laughs> The speed limit was 110. What does that mean? I'm not really sure. But what I do know is I definitely was speeding. So the other thing that I experienced for the first time is when you see a sign that says speed monitored by aircraft, that's like a real thing. Like, that's not just a threat. Like, really, there's a plane up there sometimes. And so we're cruising, and I'm just driving, and Christy's sitting in the front seat, and all of a sudden, there's a a cop up ahead on the road, like the freeway, kind of, it's not like a huge freeway, but it's like the two-lane freeway. And the cop's head up on the road, and he's like waving somebody up like this, and like waving them by, and oh, no, no, waving people over. I'm like, well, he's going to wave me over, he's going to wave me by. I still didn't know what was going on. So I pull up, and he's pointing to me, and he's waving me over to the shoulder. I'm like, great, what's going on? So he comes up to me, and he goes, yeah, you know why I um, pulled you over? I'm like, I really don't. And he said, uh, I got you speeding with aircraft. And the, the funny thing is the thought that came into my mind was, that's how that works. I mean, how is an aircraft going to pull you over, right? I just thought, that's how it works. There's a guy on the ground. He's pulling you over. It's fine. So I was like, okay, I get it. He said, you're going 130 and 110. I'm like, that's gibberish, but okay, I understand that. Definitely going faster than I thought. And I knew I was speeding. And Christy is over here in the passenger seat freaking out. Oh, what's going on, you know? And I'm just calmly like, okay. And he gives me the ticket. I'm like, all right. So I said, so I'm leaving the country. (laughs) I said, I'm fleeing to America, so what am I supposed to do with this ticket? Because I'm not going to go to court, you know? I said, oh, it's easy. You just uh, pay it. And it was something like $100 or something. Canadian. I was getting over on every angle. (laughs) It was like $65 or something. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) it's no problem. So anyways, as you can tell, I was completely calm about it. It didn't bother me at all. And so uh, we drive off, and Christy's like, oh, my gosh, like, weren't you scared? Like, you seem so calm. Like, why? And I said, Christy, because I was speeding. I was speeding. So the fact that I got caught didn't freak me out. When you speed, there are consequences. You can get pulled over and given a ticket. I'm probably lucky more didn't happen. But I was well aware of the consequences of my behavior. I was not surprised or upset when I got caught because I was speeding. I saw the signs and I deliberately disobeyed them. I can't get mad at receiving the punishment. I knew what the punishment was. It doesn't matter how many other cars are speeding and not getting tickets. You are responsible for you and your own behavior. There is no, but what about them when you get to heaven? 
like, no, 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 what about you? If our country had a what about me mindset rather than what about them mindset, I think we'd be in a better place. James chapter 4 verse 17 says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That creates a pretty broad definition of sin, right? You knew you weren't supposed to do it, it's sin. Romans 14, 12. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. So don't be a hypocrite. My second point is this. God's grace should lead you to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Forbearance. Forbearance means patient self-control, restraint, and tolerance. That's God. Long-suffering means to have patience in spite of troubles, especially those caused by other people. So you despise that? What's your excuse when you act like you can be rebellious in the face of God's patient restraint? God's being patient. He's restraining himself in self-control, not wanting to hit you with lightning bolts. It's you who's causing the problem, not he himself. And you snub your nose at it? You despise it, the Bible says? It's really weird to think about it that way. Like, you think about if you did that to your own parents, right? Like, they're giving you everything they can, and they're giving you a break and a chance. Say, oh, okay, okay, I understand that you're sorry. Let me give you another chance. And immediately you go out and do the same thing that they gave you grace on? You'd be mad. If that was your kid doing it to you, you'd be mad. You'd be dropping the hammer. But God patiently restrains. First Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not doing it for his benefit. He's doing it for your benefit. He's being patient with you to give you a chance to come back to repentance. That should be something you're excited about. Don't mistake God's mercy for permission. Or think because the consequences don't come that what you're doing must be okay. It must be okay because I haven't got punished for it yet. No, that's no excuse. He shows you mercy and doesn't drop the hammer on you and you say, well, it's mean it's okay because I'm still here. No, it's because he's being patient with you. Don't be complacent in your faith. God's grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Judgment is coming. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? (laughs) Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in sin any longer? Taking grace for a joyride is just that. Saying that God's grace covers everything. So no matter what I do... It covers it. So let's see how long this grace is going to last. Just keep being as bad as we can until grace wears out. No, the Bible says don't do that. I see people do small things that they know are wrong all the time because they are sure that there will be no punishment. As if it's too much effort to do the right thing if they really don't have to. 
Maybe that's you before. Maybe you've done that. Like you know what the right thing to do is, but you don't do it because you know no one's going to punish you anyway. So who cares? Um, I go running all the time now. Honestly, um, so I'm going to run 1,000 miles this year, and we're into August, and I'm, I'm on pace. I'm like uh, about a week or two ahead of pace. So if things go wrong, I have some uh, slack in there. It sucks. I, I thought for sure like I would turn into half gazelle by this point. Like I figured by this point I'd be in such good shape. I'm not. I feel like I'm getting in worse shape, honestly. Um, but don't give up on your running. I'm just saying for me it is uh, like half torturous, but I'm doing it. I'm, I made a commitment. I'm going to try to do it. So I, run, I found this really great trail to run between. It goes between Sumner where I live to Ording. So it's right around the kind of well, right around the corner. It's two miles to the beginning of the trail. But by the time I get to the trail it's like trail for as long as you want to go it's beautiful it's wide it's clean it's behind all the houses and and the fields from the freeway you don't even have the cars to worry about i love it it's beautiful so i'm running out there and it like i said it's nice people must work at keeping it clean there's no garbage cans anywhere but uh which is kind of interesting to me you think there would be but there's not and so I'm running out there, and so there's uh, every maybe mile or so, there's this sign like in the grass that says, clean up after your dog. And it's got this cute little stick figure holding a bag of poop, I guess, and walking its dog. Oh, gosh, I don't even walk my dog. It's so disgusting. I just let him have at it in the backyard. I don't understand it. But people do that. So, but what was interesting about it is I'm running by the sign and I see the sign, clean up after your dog. And there's this nice little neatly tied bag of poop sitting right next to it. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Did somebody think that it meant clean up after your dog and then leave it there for somebody else to deal with? Sitting right next to the sign. It's like, people. I do my run. I come back the next day. I'm running the next day. Now there's three bags of poop. And so I got a lot of time to think out there, right? Because I certainly don't want to focus on what I'm doing. And I'm thinking, okay, so the first person said to themselves, I cleaned up after my dog. Technically, and I left it there. And then two other people decided, well, if that's what that guy did, then it's okay if I do it. It builded and builded. And after like three or four days, there's like five bags of poop there. And then finally, I assume somebody who works for the city came by and cleaned it up. When it starts, when you start allowing the little things out of convenience, the little sins out of convenience to fill in your life, the next step is big things. There's no buffer anymore. You've already said it's okay as long as it's inconvenient for me, for me to break the rules. And it goes from little bags a dog turd every single day to big sins like the Capitol riot or shoplifting in San Francisco. Here's the thing. I'm watching the video of the Capitol riot, and this isn't a political statement. This is just a people statement. You had a crowd. It moved to an area that had fences and guards and police officers. Then people pushed through fences, guards and police officers, up to a building, a secure building, then pushed into a secure building, then pushed into secure areas. Now, I saw some videos and some pictures of people on the the 
the steps out there, out front, the big white steps and the pillars, and there's people hanging flags, and you know, I don't know what else they were doing, all sorts of crazy stuff. And they're taking pictures, and their excuse is, isn't this fun? Look at what I'm doing today. You know how many people posted on social media what they were doing that day? And, and I, so this is what I'm thinking as I'm watching it. Young lady, you are standing somewhere taking pictures cheerfully of yourself of a place you know you shouldn't be. Now, if you were in the crowd, you're in the crowd. I give you a pass. If people started breaking down barriers and you were like, oh gosh, I don't want a part of this, and you took off, I give you a pass. If you walked past the broken barriers, past the police officers, all the way onto the steps, don't tell me you don't know what you did was wrong. You know you're not supposed to be there, right? And now you got these laws in San Francisco about shoplifting, right? Because you don't want to throw somebody in jail for stealing baby food for their baby. But have you seen the videos? I don't see anybody stealing baby food. I see people walking into stores with garbage bags and clearing the shelves and walking out with it. The small sins were allowed and they became big sins. And that's the same thing that's going to happen in your life if you let yourself get away with these little things. One day you're going to be standing on the steps somewhere feeling perfectly justified after you pushed back every boundary that the Lord set for you. Small sins turn into big sins. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. We must have God's grace to have redemption and salvation, but don't take it for granted. My third point is this. God doesn't play favorites. Romans chapter 2 verse 5 through 11. But in accordance with the hardness of your unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who uh, by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first and also for the Greek, but, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For God is not partial, uh, for there is no partiality with God. Everyone who patiently seeks to do good and righteous things will receive peace and eternal life. Everyone who is disobedient and self-seeking will receive tribulation, anguish, and wrath. Many Jews thought that because they were God's people that they didn't need to worry about judgment. And that their sins would not be punished like the sins of the Gentiles would be. They felt like they were safe. They're sons of Abraham. They're the chosen people. Why on earth now are you telling me that I have to worry about all these sins? I'm covered. But Christians today, in the modern day, kind of fall into the same complacent assumptions. They misuse phrases like grace wins every time. Grace is going to cover it. So why, why, why are you going to worry about the sins that you commit when you know that God is just going to forgive you anyway? God is love. He paid it all on the cross. They use these kind of phrases instead to free them from the responsibility of their sin. That's the problem. Like, these things are true, 
But you're using it as an excuse for sin. Rather than using it as something to, to uh, be excited and honor that God, can, that God can do this for you. You can't do anything to earn it, but that doesn't mean you can't disgrace it. Because you disgrace it and disgrace him every time you tread on his grace and take it lightly. It is true that no one can meet the standard on their own, but that should make us value and respect grace even more. Without it, we would be doomed to destruction. You should treasure it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. And Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sow, that he will also reap. You can't walk around acting like God doesn't know what's in your heart and in your mind. You can fool me. People fool me all the time. I'm always surprised when somebody comes out and be like a complete fraud or a jerk or whatever. I'm always like, what? I thought they were cool, man. I like their hair. But they, you know, you're not going to fool God. God can see it. You're not going to fool him. Right is right and wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter who's doing it. That's the point. If it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Now, the road to salvation is the same for everyone. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're saved by grace, through faith, in Christ. That's the same for everyone. And there's no partiality with God. Amen? Amen. Now, you can't earn it, but you have the responsibility to act on it. Believing it should change your life. And I think that's the thing that would change the perception of Christians is if we acted like we believed what we were talking about and we were changed by it, then people would see it and they would want to know more about it. They would say things like, I hate Christians, but you're different. Why are you different? And you can be like, well, because let me tell you about what Christianity is really supposed to be about. Let me show you where it's out in the Bible. This Christian life is about heart condition, not trying to get around the rules on a technicality. You've got to put that mindset away. It's about changing your heart condition, not following some rules. It's not going to make the way for you. You have to accept it, believe it, confess it, and repent of your sins. Um, and come up. That's the thing that I think that the, the foundational things of Christianity, I think, is always what sets you free when you come back to it. And that's what wins the argument for you when people want to throw hate your way. Is you don't even engage on the hate. You just say, nope, I want you to understand the truth. What about all these things that happened in the past? Don't worry about what happened in the past. Because you're going to be accountable for today and the truth. You're not accountable for what happened in the past. You're not even should be worried about what's going to happen in the future. But today, you have a choice to make. Today. You're accountable for today. You need to accept that Jesus Christ is the Savior and that you need a Savior. You're a sinner who needs a Savior. You need to believe that Jesus Christ is that Savior. And you need to confess that. You need to admit that. You need to confess it. You need to speak it out and say that, that you agree with that. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. And you're telling people you believe it. And then you need to repent of your sins and turn away from them. That's the key part. Now, some people would say that that doesn't look like grace. And that doesn't mean Jesus did everything because you have to do something. 
But I'm telling you that that is the reaction that you should have from knowing that you are saved by grace. You should turn away from your sins and live a new life. You need to, somebody can give you a gift, but you need to receive the gift as well. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads? Now, if you're here in this place and and you've never given your life to Christ before and and you want to give your life to him tonight, we want to pray with you. If you want to make tonight the night that you give your life to Jesus Christ for the first time, I want you to just raise your hand and let me know because we want to pray with you. No better time, no better place. Now, if you've been far from him and, and you've been walking down that lifestyle of sin path, and you want to get back on the right path, it's really, really, really easy. Humble yourself before the Lord, ask for His forgiveness and repent, and then turn away from your wicked ways and live according to the biblical standard. Do that today. No better time. What are you waiting for? What's your delay? Let's pray. Lord God, we love you so much. We just thank you for your word, your grace, your salvation, your patience, Lord God. We humbly come before you, Lord God. We need you. We need all of you. We can't do it ourselves, Lord, but give us the strength to push forward and honor you. In your holy name, Lord, amen. Amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.